Hello, my wonderful friends, and welcome back to another episode of the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 64, and it's part five of our series that we are in called Setting the Bible Free. If you go back a handful of episodes to part one, uh, that kind of lays the foundation for what we're doing here in this series. Uh, That episode is called The Bible Has Been Hijacked. Uh, Let's set it free. So go back there. kind of gives you some of the uh, story or the background of the series, as well as a general outline of where we're going, topics we may or may not discuss, uh, some of the guests that are coming on. So all good stuff back there. Uh, It's been a great series so far. Uh, Lots of good feedback, lots of not so good feedback as well, Uh, but we are about halfway through, and uh, yeah, this is part five, and today's episode, we have a special guest on. His name is Keith Giles, and uh, he's going to talk to us about his book, one of his books, uh, Jesus Unbound, and the subtitle is Liberating the Word of God from the Bible. Uh, So all of our questions will kind of be oriented around some of the uh, topics that he brings up in that book, and he gives us a lot of good things to think about. Uh, So this, this is a good one. Uh, This is a good day to drop by. So a couple of things. Uh, Number one, uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash whatifproject. Uh, that is where you can go to support the show. So if this thing has encouraged you, inspired you, uh, pushed you forward in your faith, uh, that's a place where you can go to give some money. Uh, So anywhere from $3 a month up to $30 a month uh, will give some support to to the show. There's different tiers of giving and there's different rewards. So every tier has its own reward, whether it's a weekly blog post, a bi-monthly bonus podcast episode, um, a book that I mail you in the mail. So lots of good things there to check out. Uh, Go do that. And uh, also the What If Project community is a closed Facebook group. Uh, I put the link in the show notes, but we have about 100 or so people in there. Uh, We gather all throughout the week. Uh, Every day somebody's posting something in there. Uh, It's an an encouraging place where no matter where you are on your journey, uh, your spiritual journey, your life, you can go in there, share your experience, ask your questions, share your doubts, share resources that have helped you. Uh, We're all in there cheering each other on. So the What If Project community is the place to be. Uh, Special music today is from my friends at the Denver Kreitz Band. Uh, They put out a an album with about four or five songs on it. So this is actually one of the songs uh, from their album, and the song is called Tattoo of Gold. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy the song. Uh, The album is really good, so go check it out on Apple Music, Spotify, wherever it is that you listen to awesome new music. So all of that to say, uh, again, this is episode number 64, part five of our series, Setting the Bible Free. And uh, let's roll the tape. It's a man of best my kick-ass dreams. I'll have a tattoo of gold and talk to ladies and I want them more than a bad. And all of Hey everybody, welcome back to the What If Project Podcast. Uh, today we are joined by author and teacher Keith Giles, who is gonna talk to us about his book, uh, Jesus Unbound, Liberating the Word of God from the Bible. So Keith, it's good to have you along. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, Glenn, thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor to be here, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about this uh, subject. 
Thank you. So before we jump into things, uh, maybe take a few moments, uh, if you will, to tell us about yourself. Uh, who are you? Uh, what do you do? Maybe a bit about your upbringing. I believe you just started a new group of sorts called Back to Square One. So tell us all the things we got to know about Keith Giles. Oh my gosh. Well, that'll take the whole time. I'll, I'll just try to be brief. You've got um, 30 seconds. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. okay. <laughs> Deep breath. Deep Here breath. we go. Um, yeah. So um, I, yeah, I was a licensed entertainer as a Southern Baptist pastor around almost 30 years ago, um, served at different churches on and off. Uh, my wife and I moved from El Paso, Texas to Southern California about 25 years ago, 26 years ago. And we um, got involved with the Vineyard Church movement there, planted, planted a church there and enjoyed it. But then um, after doing that for about three years, um, we felt God calling us to leave and start a, a church that would give 100% of the offering away to the poor in the community. And we wow. did that. And that was awesome. And so we, that became a, uh, it was a house church. We met in homes. And I got to just got a job in the real world like everybody else and yeah. a supporting family. Yeah. And we did that. And it was just phenomenal. We did that for 11 years. Hmm. And that, that, that was, um, I just finished up. So that was uh, about a year ago. Then we uh, moved to Boise, Idaho. We've been here for a year. And um, I moved here for a job, but the job didn't work out. And then since January, uh, I have been, I call it walking on water. I've been... <laughs> kind of doing the, my dream, which was to be, kind of be a full-time writer and author. And, and God, God has been really blessing me and showing me how to actually pull that off. So that's what I've been doing. That's great. Writing a bunch of books. Yeah. Um, it seems like you pump out books pretty quick. Well, you know, it's amazing how productive you can be as a writer when you don't have a job in the way. That's uh, very true. <laughs> uh, so I have a lot of free time now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So yeah, I just published um, a couple of months ago, I published a book. Uh, called Jesus Unveiled. That's about our house church experience. Mm. And then um, I have one coming out in November called Jesus Undefeated. That'll be about eternal suffering and universalism. Mm. That's and, not going to cause any waves or anything. No, I shouldn't. You know, I really hate. I really hate being controversial. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, and um, like you said, you mentioned the square one thing. Yeah, yeah. So this is. I'm really excited about this. I really felt like God was speaking to me about. Because what I've noticed, I mean, I've been I've been deconstructing my faith for 15 years or so, and um, it's really painful and difficult mm. to do that. And especially if you're by yourself and you have no one to kind of process with you and help you out. And then what I'm recognizing is there's a whole lot of resources, podcasts and books, and all kinds of things out there about deconstruction, but I couldn't find almost anything about reconstruction. Yeah. And I and I don't I get people contacting me on a daily basis. Uh, and I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating. Really, on a daily basis, I get messages from people, comments from people um, saying, Keith, I'm going through this. You know, can you help me answer this question? Or how do I respond to this or that? And yeah. what do I do about X, Y, and Z? And so anyway, and I, you know, and I respond to those people because I, I want to help people. And so I do. I, I, I spend a lot of time helping people that way. But it's sort of one at a time here and there. And so what I realized was if I needed to, if I really wanted to help people going through this, um, I needed to put together like a 90 day sort of a program that walks people through step by step, the deconstruction all the way through to a reconstruction process. Mm. And that's what, that's called square one. And I'm going to start that uh, September 30th. Okay. And um, looking for about 12 people to help us on that, you know, to go with us on that journey. Okay. Right now I've got about five people. So we're about halfway full. That's so, fantastic. Yeah. Where can people find it? And does it uh, cost anything? Yeah. So you can find the website. There's a video where I explain the whole thing and what, what, what it is. So okay. um, 
the 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 website address is b k and the numeral two s q and the number one dot com so it's supposed to stand for back to square one dot com b k two s q one dot com and um yeah it does cost a little bit um i I got some people uh some don't some anonymous donors to make it so that i could offer the seats at half price Hmm. so right now it's um it's like 25 dollars a week Hmm. for the program and that's the half price uh and i've got several seats still available at that rate Okay. Are interested. And, and then I'm also offering some sponsored seats if people can't afford anything at all financially, but they really need it. Um, I'm going to offer uh, a couple of seats for free as well to people uh, in that situation. That's great. That's great. I'll put the link to that in the show notes so people can go and find it. Yeah, um, I will. I'll send it to you. Yeah. Um, I really love what you said about, you know, deconstruction because you said that you, you've been, you've been in the process for 15 years. And I think a lot of people that enter the process, think it's going to go fast. And I think mm-hmm. get frustrated when they don't know the answers to the questions that are coming up and they feel like everything's kind of unraveling and they don't know what to do. And, you know, they find themselves months in thinking I'm lost, but I love that you said that you've been on the journey for so long. I think that's very hopeful for people. Yeah. Well, and thank you for mentioning that too, because here's the thing I, I have found anyway, it's almost like dominoes. It's like when the first uh, you know, everybody's going to deconstruct something first. They're sort of the first thing for everybody. And it's always different. Some people, it's church. Some people, it's the Bible. Some people, yeah. it's um, hell, um, whatever. There's there's usually one thing that nags at them and bothers them. And they start investigating it. And they realize, oh, my gosh, what my parents and my pastors were telling me about this, I think maybe it isn't true. Or it's not what I thought it was. Yeah. And then they start that deconstruction process. And, and then, it, like you said, at first they think it's just that, but once here's the thing is once you deconstruct one of those things, you start realizing how each of these things are connected to other things. Yeah. And eventually, you know, let's say you start with hell, but eventually you're going to get to the Bible. If you start with the Bible, eventually you're going to get to the question of hell. Yeah. I mean, so these things are connected. And so, yeah, it is a, I don't want to bum people out, but uh, in some ways I think the deconstruction process never ends. And what I mean by that is, um, I don't think we should allow ourselves to get to the place where we tell ourselves, okay, now I know everything. Yeah. I think we should always, this is my goal anyway. My, my desire is to always hold very loosely to my beliefs and say, I think hmm. I, 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 I believe, but I could be wrong. And you know how I know that? Because I've been wrong before. Yeah. That's so, really good. I think it's easy to become almost like a fundamentalist on the other side. Like yeah. And that's actually something I'm going to be talking about in square one, because I think okay. that's a, that's a pitfall we can fall into is like we let's say for example you know we deconstruct hell and now we know that it's this right we know it's not that we know it's this because this is what we worked it out and we believe it and then we end up becoming this dogmatic apologist and we Mm. run around picking arguments with everybody to prove to them we're right about it and they're wrong about it like well now we've just become the kind of thing we deconstructed out of right we again we want to i i would say we want to avoid that we want to be gracious um and have grace for people, especially grace for people who believe things now that we used to believe a few years ago mm. um, for the same reasons that we believed it, you know, Yeah. Uh, and to not be so quick to condemn those people. Like we should be able to say, yep, I know, I know why you believe that. Uh, I, I used to believe that too, but to not, not go on the attack mode. Yeah. I think it was Rob Bell who once said that it's, you know, to look for yourself in the other person. And see that yeah. you were once there and have grace on yourself and thus have grace on that person. No, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, it's like um, if I could go back in time and talk to Keith Giles from five years ago, 10 years ago, um, Keith Giles of five or 10 years ago would look at me and say, wow, you are a, you're a heretic. You're so screwed up. Right. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I'd have to have grace for that guy. You know, Absolutely. I'd have to have grace for anybody in the same situation. Absolutely. So uh, your book, Jesus Unbound, really, really helped me because I think it helped put a lot of words onto things I had been thinking about for a long time. Uh, but wasn't maybe sure exactly how to voice or maybe even at times was afraid to voice. So what I wanted to do is I want to kind of start with the title of the book. Um, and the subtitle is Liberating the Word of God from the Bible. Now, a lot of my listeners, uh, kind of like myself, were raised in this uh, strict, I would say, evangelical environment where we were taught that the Word of God is the Bible and the mm -hmm. Bible is the Word of God. But you're doing something very different with this term, Word of God. So talk to me a little bit about uh, what the subtitle of the book uh, means. Yeah, well, certainly, yeah, I'm, I am wanting to, um, with that subtitle, address sort of this disconnect that Christians have, mm. where we have, you're right, you know, I was raised the same way. Yeah. The word, the, the phrase word of God is thrown around all the time to me, and what they mean is the Bible. But the problem is, you know, the Bible doesn't talk about itself that way. Mm. Um, the, when the phrase word of God is used in the New Testament, especially, it's either talking about the spoken gospel, meaning someone spoke the word of God. Well, or someone says someone preached the word of God. What they're saying is they're, they're preaching the gospel. They're not passing out Bibles. Hmm. Um, and actually more commonly word of God, the, the phrase word of God is meant to point to Jesus Christ himself. I mean, the gospel of John, that seems to be the whole point at the beginning hmm. is to say in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And later it says, uh, Jesus says that if you love me, my father and I will love you and we will come and make our home in you. So mm -hmm. the word of God is Christ and Christ, uh, you know, the word of God became flesh in Christ and then now Christ lives in us. And so here's the fascinating thing too about that, that progression in the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, and then the word became flesh. At what point in that sequence is the word written down in a book? Yeah. Never. Right. So um, <laughs> that's the other thing. Like we, it, what we need to do, which would be really helpful, I think, if Christians would do, is, is to understand that well, that's what is being said in the Gospel of John, that the word of God equals Christ. Hmm. Now go back even to the Old Testament, and when you read the phrase word, or word of God, think Christ. Hmm. So for example, when it says my word in the Old Testament, my word will not return void. It will accomplish everything I send it to do. Hmm. That's about Christ. It's not about a book that we wrote about Christ. Yeah. Um, and I think that is honestly the radical thing that John is trying to get us to understand. Hmm. That he's, he's cracking the code for us. He's saying, hey, by the way, word of God equals Christ. Yeah. Now go back and think again. Now go back and read again. Hmm. Uh, because I think that's what is meant to be communicated. I've been reading, uh, I think it's called uh, Original Blessing by Matthew Fox. And he talks in there about how the Hebrew word for word in the Old Testament refers to uh, Christ and the divine energy that's kind of running through all things, you know, like the, the yeah. love of God that's in everything and in everyone. And I think yeah. it's a, just a revolutionary idea for those of us who have been raised in that setting, for sure. Yeah, and then, Glenn, the other thing about the re what I wanted to do and, and with that subtitle as well 
is to break this idea, which I see all too commonly, and it is so pervasive uh, in the American Christian church today, is this sort of replacement where Christians have effectively replaced um, Christ with the Bible. Mm. They have made that, they, they flipped it back the other way. And to them, Word of God, when they read Word of God, they think Bible. And yeah. so they really believe that, and gosh, I see this all the time. And I, in fact, I'll even correct people on, <laughs> on Facebook and Twitter when they post, post things like, the Word of God will change your life. The Word of God, you know, can do all these things for you. I'm like, well, unless you mean Christ, yes, Christ will do that. Yeah. But the book won't. And, yeah. and, and if you, you know what I mean? Like, it's just a book. Like, I, I do the thing in Jesus Unbound where I say, uh, near the beginning of the book, I say, the Word of God loves you. The Bible can't love you because it's a book. Mm. You know, the word of God will never forsake you or leave you, but the Bible can be misplaced. Mm. Like, and I do this whole sequence where I, I try to, you know, contrast. This is the word of God. This is Christ. And yes, these things are true about Christ, but they're not true about this book because it's yeah. just a book, right? The book doesn't love you. The book isn't like never going to leave you or forsake you. The book won't change your life. It's just a book. Now, Again, I'm not trying to, people always accuse me of this. Um, they say, well, you're, you're trying to denigrate the scriptures. You're trying to, um, you know, you're downplaying the Bible. No, I'm wanna, I want to keep the Bible exactly where it is, where it should be. But I would like for us to exalt Christ above that book that we wrote about him. Yeah. Um, and that's what concerns me is when, I, when I'm trying to do that, I get accused of putting down the Bible. No, I'm exalting Christ above the Bible. Yeah. And again, we have to we have to wrap our brains around when we when we think about scripture, and I think this is something that's helped me. You know, what is scripture? Is, is are the scriptures? Um, is it a book that God wrote, um, and we helped, or is it a book that we wrote, and sometimes God helped? Mm. And I think for me, the second option is is more accurate. Yeah. We wrote the Bible. And yes, uh, the Spirit of God did inspire the authors of Scripture on occasion, but not 100% of the time. There's a whole lot of stuff that kind of is um, filtered through with that particular writer and their limited perception and understanding of who God was and what God was like. This is the reason why we need Christ. Hmm. Again, this is what the, 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 what the Gospels are trying to tell us. You know, we didn't see clearly. Like Paul says this. Paul says, you know, he says, even to this day when the old... Uh, Testament scriptures are read, a veil covers our eyes hmm. because only in Christ is the veil removed. Well, my goodness, what right. what, is, what does that mean? Well, yeah. it means you try to read the old covenant scriptures without first uh, knowing Christ intimately, abiding in him and him abiding in you, you are not going to understand it. Hmm. So we have to begin with Christ or we're not going to get it, right? Yeah. So because again, Jesus was the one that like, no one knows the Father except the Son, Jesus says, right? Yeah. And to whomever the, the Son chooses to reveal the Father. Hmm. So without Jesus, we don't have a clear picture of God. And so that means that before Christ came, the pictures of God we had were um, inaccurate. You know? Tarnished, yeah. Exactly. For yeah. sure. Yeah, we, we often treat the Bible like it's the, I don't know, like the fourth member of the Trinity. And yes. It dare not be questioned, right? Holy Bible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I put a quote on Facebook the other day from your book and it was about this very idea and immediate response I got from somebody was, you know, you're saying the Bible is not the word of God. You're a false prophet. Yep. You know, the uh, Paul said all scriptures God breathed. 
And I was like, yeah. But when I think about that, I mean, the Bible as we have it today wasn't written when Paul wrote those yeah. words. So, right. So he must have been right. referring to something else. <laughs> right. Well, no. And I got to say on that one, because that is the number one response. I yeah. usually get. But here's the thing again. I, and I always try to correct, excuse me. I try to correct people when they say that because they'll respond, you know, second Timothy three sixteen, all scripture is God breathe. Well, the word scripture doesn't appear in the Greek in that sentence. Hmm. Hmm. And usually that's, that's how I start, because I want them to understand that. Yeah. Go to the Greek. And if you read that sentence in the Greek, the, word, the Greek word for scripture does not appear anywhere in that, I don't think in that entire chapter. Huh. So what, what word is it? Well, it's the very common word. It's, the word is graphis. It's the Greek word graphis, and it just means it's the common word for the writing, the writings. So it just means writings. Hmm. And actually, the, the order of the structure of the sentence, it's more accurate to read that sentence as all the God-breathed writings are profitable for teaching and instruction and correction and all this. So then the question becomes, well, then how do we know what the God-breathed writings are? Hmm. Well, they're the ones that you experience as uh, profitable for teaching and instruction and you know, all these other things. It's like you, in other words, you recognize them because they, they accomplish that purpose. Right. That's how you know hmm. that that writing happens to be something that is quote unquote inspired by God to accomplish his purposes. Hmm. It's not trying to say, like you said, the, the scriptures as we know them today, you know, weren't even canonized or uh, written by the time when, when, when Paul said that. That's really helpful perspective on that verse. I'm taking notes, even though yeah. I can go back and listen to this, but I'm taking notes anyway. <laughs> but uh, I was taught, I went to a, a Christian school and uh, through fourth through 12th grade, then I went to Bible college seminary. And, you know, I was always taught again, the Bible is the word of God, but words like inerrant and infallible were often attached to it, making almost like the Bible ought to be this magical book that contained the words of God. And, you know, I was taught that nothing in it's wrong. And if you think there's errors, you know, it's not wrong, you're wrong, go back and read it again. Uh, so in response to that, I want to read a quote real quick from your book on page 75. You say, any scriptures that do not align with what has been revealed to us in Christ are not the whole truth. And uh, had I been back, you know, the Glenn of 10 years ago, I would have been like, ah, heretic, you know, that would have been, that would have been sent me off the, off the deep end. But I was yeah. wondering if you could maybe take that sentence apart for us a little bit. Uh, maybe give us an example of a, a piece of scripture that's not the whole truth because it doesn't align with what we see in the life of the teachings of Christ. Yeah. <clears throat> well, yeah. And this is probably one of the most difficult things I think for, um, for many to, to wrap their brains around. But yeah. what I talk about in the book is the fact, and then near the beginning of the book, I lay this out. And this was something that helped me personally was I, I had this sort of a epiphany, this revelation that, that there was another way to approach scripture. So the way you're talking about, the way you were raised, and the way yep. I, this is the way I was raised, yep. taught to look at scripture, was a flat Bible perspective, hmm. which says that every, every word in the quote-unquote Bible, uh, Old or New Testament, is the word of God, and it's all equally authoritative <clears throat> in the life of a Christian. And, yep. um, and so that's why that statement, like the one you just read from my book, would set you off. Yeah. Now, but now um, there's another way to another perspective, another way of looking at scripture, which, by the way, I think is supported by the New Testament, by Jesus and the apostles. And it's this uh, it's a Jesus centric perspective on the scriptures. And in fact, we, you and I have already kind of already started down that road. Um, and, and so, in other words, 
like for example, there's one example is the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Where Jesus yeah. takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. He's transfigured before them. Moses and Elijah appear with him. Um, well, why Moses? Why Elijah? Those, those are not arbitrary choices. Moses is um, the father of the law, hmm. and he represents the law. And Elijah represents the prophets. So here's Jesus standing with the law and the prophets. And Peter makes the flat Bible mistake. Peter says, oh, Lord, it's so good that we're here uh, together. You know, let's build three tabernacles hmm. equally, right, to honor the law, the prophets, and Jesus. And then the father speaks from the cloud, and his response is to remove the law, Moses. He removes Elijah, the prophets. He leaves only Jesus, and he tells Peter, James, and John, this is my son. Listen to him. Hmm. Um, and again, like, this is what Paul says. This is, this is what Jesus says, right? No one knows the father except the son. Uh, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Hmm. We have had this screwy picture in the other scriptures of what God is really like. Jesus came to correct that. That's why he, in fact, John, again, the gospel of John says that um, no one has ever seen God at any time. Whoa, hmm. wait a minute. John, no one has ever seen God at any time except for Jesus, right? Hmm. The, the son, um, and, the, and that he came, the purpose he came for was to reveal the father to us. That is a radical statement from the gospel of John. So if we begin with all of that, we say, okay, I, I'm going to accept all of that as true. I'm going to, you know, here's my son, listen to him. Then I'm going to start with Jesus, and it begins with abiding in him. Then I go back and read those Old Testament scriptures. And so now I'm going to answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say I'm reading the Old Testament scriptures, and I come across an Old Testament passage, like in, um, you know, like in uh, Exodus or something, yep. or in Isaiah or something like this where it says, thus saith the Lord, go take your sword and go next door to this other country, to these people who live across the river, and um, kick down the door, take your sword, kill the husband, split open the pregnant belly of his wife, hmm. uh, slaughter their toddlers and their babies. And, and there's, a, there's a little mention there, by the way, do not show mercy, and then go outside and kill all their livestock, all their animals, leave nothing alive. Well, I'm sorry. I don't see Jesus saying that to anybody. Yeah. Uh, and there's all kinds of scriptures like that. There's lots of scriptures in the Old Testament where, for example, where Moses will um, say that people who are born with deformities um, are not allowed to come near uh, the temple or the, the tabernacle. Hmm. Um, they're not allowed to be in God's presence. But, you know, um, things like this where, but when I look at Jesus, what do I see? I see Jesus going towards those people and embracing those people and healing those people. Um, so that's very different, right? Yeah. Jesus shows up uh, at the beginning of his ministry in the Sermon on the Mount, and he, and he kicks it off by essentially correcting a whole bunch of stuff that Moses said. You've heard it said, hmm. an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He's quoting Moses. But I say to you, uh, love your enemy, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. And by the way, if you do that, you'll be like your father in heaven who brings rain on the just and on the unjust, which in hmm. itself is a contradiction of Moses because Moses says in Deuteronomy that um, God brings rain on the just, but he will dry up the fields of the unjust. Hmm. So Jesus is contradicting Moses left and right. Um, but again, he's affirming where Moses is right, but he's taking time to say, but these things are not reflecting who God really is. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to show you, this is what the father is really like. Hmm. And so 
we'll see. But again, we, we can't do that. We can't do that properly unless we begin with Christ. And we really do um, focus on our own personal connection with Christ, abiding him, knowing him, knowing his heart, his character, his voice, in such a way that now we can go back, as Paul said, the veil is removed in Christ. And now we can, because we know who Jesus is. We know who, who, who uh, the Father is as revealed in Christ. Now we can go back and read those Old Testament scriptures, and we can, we can read some scriptures where we go, amen, wow, that's the, heart, that's the Father's heart right there. Yeah. Or nope, that was what Moses thought God was like. Hmm. Or that's what Isaiah thought God was like. That's good. So and then so would again, you Yeah. So ahead. then would you say that like the old like those old testament writings then like even like think of like the conquest of Canaan and just like the the genocide that God pretty much commanded the Israelites to um throw down on these people. Like are these instances and these things that like when when God is pictured as this angry dictator, would you say that you know, those writers wrote in that way because that's how they understood God based upon the culture that they were in. Yep. Like, you know, exactly the, culture, right. like the culture of that time, like they saw the God as angry. They saw the God as warlord. So I guess it makes sense then that the people who are writing those stories would see God in that way. Am I on the um, right yes. track? Yeah. Yeah. No, Glenn, that's exactly right. See, again, you have to put yourself back in the mind of, of a primitive culture, hmm. um, who again did not have Christ, did not have a clear picture of what God was like. So they're filtering their ideas of God. So you know this God of this God Yahweh speaks to Abraham. Yeah. Um, okay. So a God spoke to me. Well, what are gods like? Well, gods demand worship. Gods demand sacrifice. Gods demand they have rules, and you better follow those rules. And if you break those rules, you're going to get. You're gonna, he's going to smite you. Right. Uh, he's going to curse you. Right. Because this is what every god does. And so. Well, then they, so you start filtering your idea of Yahweh through that filter. So this is why when Abraham or Moses, uh, a lot of these early, um, you know, Jewish followers of God, um, when they go to worship God, what do they do? Well, they go grab a lamb or a, or a bull hmm. and they slit its throat and bleed it and burn it on an altar. Why? Because that's how you worshiped every God. That's what worship was. That to you and I, we would, we would call that going to church, Right. right. Yeah. Just, well, that's how you go to church. What are you talking about? You put on your Sunday best and, you know, comb your hair and, uh, you, you know, you go and sit, stand, sit, stand, sing, right. drop money in the plate and take some notes and, you know, pray and go home. That's, yeah. that's church. Well, church to those people in that primitive culture was, you know, you've got to, you've got to toe the line. You've got to follow this God. You've got to slaughter an animal. And the sacrifice thing is an interesting part of it too, because the sacrifice thing is assumed by Abraham, the sacrifice is assumed by Moses. In mm. fact, Moses, you know, gives these commands, thus saith the Lord, when you, you know, this is how to offer your sacrifices. But later on in the Old Testament, God says, like through Isaiah and Hosea, and even through David, um, it never entered my mind. You know, mm. I never commanded you when you left Egypt to offer these sacrifices. What? <laughs> well, yeah. So, so in other words, God is correcting that idea, those wrong ideas about who he is and the way, what he wants from his people, right? This is that whole like, thing. Hosea says, um, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, right? Mm -hmm. David says the blood of bulls and goats, you never required. That's not what you wanted, mm -hmm. but we assumed it was. So we just worked that into, um, well, you know, it was just the assumption. Well, all gods want this, right? right? We assume God is like all gods. Hmm. And, and so slowly God has been trying to refine for us who he really is and what he's really like. And, and the final revelation of that is in Christ. Hmm. Jesus comes to show us exactly. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. I only do 
what I see the Father doing. The words I speak are not mine. They are the words of the Father. And so everything that from, is directly from the Father is what we see in, in, in Jesus. Then hmm. I guess taking that, that idea that God didn't demand sacrifices a step further into that Christ-centered reading of Scripture would be when he was in the temple and mm. Christ drove out the money changers and the animals that would have been used for sacrifice. Would you say that that's almost like a picture of Jesus taking that uh, to the very last step of where God never wanted this to begin with? Yeah. I mean, I think that's that particular picture of Jesus cleansing the temple and chasing out the money changers and the sellers of doves. Uh, the point, I think there's a bigger point there than simply sacrifice in general. Mm. Um, because the the fact the, the fact is that it it calls out the sellers of doves. Yeah. Um, those who sold doves, uh, they were selling to the poor. Hmm. In fact, there's, so there's a provision in the Old Testament that you're supposed to bring a lamb uh, in your sacrifice. But if you're too poor, there's a provision that you can bring two quail or two doves. Hmm. Um, if you notice, by the way, it's it's the, it's the clue that we have that Jesus' uh, family, Mary, Joseph and Mary, uh, were poor. Because it says when Jesus is born that they go to the temple to dedicate Jesus and they bring two doves hmm. because they're poor. Right. Um, and so the fact that Jesus is chasing out the money changers and the sellers of doves and it calls them out specifically, I think it's more about him being angry and upset about the fact that they were um, exploiting the poor. Yeah. Um, and so that to me, I feel like that's, that's probably good. the bigger thing he's trying to Sure. Uh, speak out to is like, look, you're, you're oppressing the poor. Um, By making them buy something to sacrifice. Yes. Cause they have to purchase these doves Mm. and they're already poor. Right. What happened was they set up the system where you couldn't just bring any dove. It had to be a a quote unquote approved dove. And of course they're meant they were going to be more expensive. Mm. So talk to me about like, if the Bible is not the word of God, like if we're going to take that, we're going to strip it of that label. um, That's only for Jesus. Um, then what exactly is the purpose of the Bible? And how is a person like an average person without a theology degree supposed to pick this thing up and make yeah. heads or tails out of it? Like on a, hopefully, you know, on a regular basis, if they want to, to read it, you know, every day. Yeah. Well, that's a great question. I mean, I think um, I'll, I'll steal a quote from Brian Zahn. He says, what the scriptures do inerrantly and infallibly is point us to Christ. Hmm. And so again, if our if our focus is is Christ, if we are Christ centered, then when we're reading the scriptures, we should recognize the, those passages that are pointing us to Christ and mm. say, "Yep, there it is. There that you know, whether it's old old covenant or or new, um, that we see Christ in those scriptures." And then places uh, because we know Christ and we start with Him. If we see and read something that does not sound like Christ, we can say, "Well, unfortunately, that's a that's a." that's a picture of what that particular author or people in that particular time thought about who God was mm-hmm. before they knew who Christ was. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to say, I understand. Um, and hopefully you'll back me up on this because I, I, the people I've talked to who have read Jesus Unbound yep. um, have come, have, have told me after they've read it that they actually love the Bible more after having read my book. Than oh, definitely. Before. Yeah. yeah. So, my, so again, the point of my book is not to make people toss away their Bible at all. Yeah. I love the Bible. Yeah. I really do. I seriously, I read it every day. I, I mean, I'm still writing books about the Bible and and blogging about it. And I mean, I, I, I can't stop 
you know, talking about it and studying it. I really do love the Bible. Hmm. But uh, again, I love Christ more. And so I just think we just have to have a, a right relationship with it. We have to be honest that there are mistakes. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to be honest that there are contradictions here and there between the writers uh, because there's different authors with different perspectives and that's okay. It's a conversation. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I want to, I want people to know that they can have confidence in the gospel accounts. Yeah. Uh, and again, I take time in the book to, to kind of break this down that we have all kinds of very good reasons for, um, for trusting in the testimony of the, the four gospels that they are mm -hmm. giving us an accurate picture of what Jesus taught and who he was and what he did and what he stood for. And so we, we can, we can have confidence in that. Hmm. We can have confidence in most of the writings of Paul, although some of the writings of Paul are not the writings of Paul. They're actually, right. um, and again, that's sorry to scare people, but <laughs> <laughs> people just fell off their chairs. No? <laughs> yeah. It's called pseudepigrapha. And so there's, there's several, several of Paul's letters that are not Most scholars would say Paul didn't write them. Yeah. Um, for certain first and second Peter were not written by, uh, Peter, the disciple Peter. Hmm. We don't really know who wrote those. But again, it's it's um, to the degree of now, when people hear me say that, they think, oh, Keith's saying we should toss those out. No, absolutely not. Because like, for example, two of the books um, that are in question from Paul are Ephesians and Colossians. And oh my gosh, I absolutely love Colossians and Ephesians yeah. because they exalt Christ so beautifully. And so my response to that, to, to, the, to the realization that that the Apostle Paul probably didn't write Colossians and Ephesians is, well, I don't care. Whoever did write it was inspired. Yeah. Because when I read Colossians going on and on about how, you know, um, all the fullness of the deity, you know, was, was in Christ. Uh, oh my gosh. Yes. Amen. I mean, whoever wrote that was inspired. So um, it doesn't bother me that Paul did or didn't write it. Um, I still think I, we should, again, take it as a testimony of Christ. Yeah. Yeah, I put I, I talk about this in a, a few episodes ago, but I, I I put my Bible down probably for like six months and uh, I didn't read it at all. And that was like a big thing for me because I've always always read my Bible. I've always been reading it. I love it. I study it and just it's always been part of me. But I put it down for a while because I just felt like I had so much baggage attached to it and I just needed I just needed a break from it. And I picked it up right around the same time I picked up your book. And um so those two kind of went hand in hand for me and your book really just helped me see it in a much different light. Um, because I felt like I was, I guess I felt like I was reading, I think Jesus through the lens of like the old Testament and the prophets almost treating them like they were for more mature reading, I guess. Yeah. And I, your book helped me flip that to look at the rest of the Bible through the lens of Christ. And that just transformed yeah. everything for me. So. Yes. Yeah. And see, I talk about this a lot. And this is something else I want to break um, this bad habit we have. We also, you'll, you'll see it all the time, Christians using this phrase, you know, biblical. Well, is that biblical? Or that's mm -hmm. not biblical. Um, or we need a more biblical world. Or we need a more biblical government or whatever. Like, no, listen, I don't want something more biblical because you know what, you know, you know what else is biblical? Slavery, yeah. genocide, mm -hmm. um, uh, polygamy. Yeah. Uh, the patriarchy, um, you know, those are biblical concepts. And not only can people use the Bible to justify all those horrible things, they have all through history. Yeah. Those are biblical concepts. But you know what we need? We need something Christ-like. Hmm. If, if you start with Christ, you know, slavery isn't Christ-like. Uh, the patriarchy isn't Christ-like. Polygamy hmm. isn't Christ-like. Genocide isn't Christ-like. We hmm. have to begin with Christ, not the Bible. 
um, again, love the Bible. It's great, but, um, but things, there are lots of things that are biblical that are not Christ-like. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we need to get back to this idea of being like Christ. Hmm. Uh, you mentioned this a little bit earlier and uh, you touched on it in your book as well, but, and I realize this is a big, a big question, so you don't have to go too in depth, but uh, I think it's an important question to at least touch on because like a lot of people have this idea about, um, the Bible that it's just always been the way that it is. It maybe just like fell out of the sky and, you know, the Bible as we have it today was the Bible of the early church. So I'm wondering, can you just talk to us a little bit about like how, how was the Bible formed? Uh, when did it come into the picture the way that we might have it on our, on our shelf today? When were those books canonized, so to speak? Mm-hmm. And um, why is it important for us to realize the story behind the Bible and the way that it was formed? Yeah, and I do take a lot of time in, in Jesus Unbound to um, walk through some of this and explain some of this. So, I mean, just uh, briefly, yeah, I mean, um, if you look at a lot of the early church fathers, let's say Origen, Tertullian, mm-hmm. Irenaeus, all of them had their own particular personal canon. Mm-hmm. And so some of them um, had lists of, of, uh, of books that they called scripture that you and I have never heard of, most likely, and would not consider scripture, like the Shepherd right. of Promise hmm. um, or the Didache uh, or things like this. And some of them also left out New Testament books that we, that we would look at today and go, oh, that's scripture. Um, hmm. They didn't even include those in their lists. And so what's going on? Like, how could, how could there be, for we're talking for about 300 years of church history, um, immediately after Christ, where um, there were just, everybody sort of had their own personal sort of lists of like, oh yeah, this, this is inspired, but yeah, I don't really like, I don't like this book or that book. Hmm. Um, so I think at first it helps to understand that that is the case, yeah. that there was no universal agreed upon um, quote unquote canon of scripture. Um, but at the same time, understand for 300 years, that was okay. Like Christians were all right with that. They didn't have this urgency of, well, we've got to, we've got to solve this mystery. We've got to once and for all um, figure this out. Like why did the church take over 300 years to get around to that? Hmm. Well, Constantine. Uh, Constantine. <laughs> yeah. The, he's our, he's our, uh, he's our scapegoat, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but, but he did a lot of, he, he introduced a lot of very bad things into the Christian church. And one of them was, um, hierarchy right uh, within yep. the body of christ although that already started but he really solidified that he also brought up this entanglement with the of the church with the state mm. and um and, and his desire to sort of um solidify christianity as a religion um it, it was his insistence that you know the church get together and basically come up with uh, these uh, these statements of doctrines of belief that to be a christian you must believe these you know these certain doctrines mm. So um, there was a shift um, because before that, before Constantine did that, the way you defined whether or not you were a Christian was orthopraxy. In other words, you were someone who followed the teachings of Jesus and mm. your life reflected the character of Christ. Mm. That's, what, that's how people knew you were a Christian, not by your doctrines, because again, a lot of early Christians disagreed on lots of different things. For example, even the afterlife. Mm three different views of the afterlife and that was okay. You know, they didn't say, well, you're not a Christian if you don't believe in annihilation or you're not a Christian if you don't believe in universalism or, or eternal suffering. It was, th- these ideas were f- held loosely and freely amongst believers. But mm-hmm. Constantine shows up and says, no, 
we got to pick one and only one. And if you believe this, that makes you a Christian. If you, that means if you don't, you're, you're not. Hmm. And then um, canonizing the scriptures were, was a part of that process. So uh, eliminating certain, certain writings and elevating other writings hmm. uh, was part of that process of saying, this is what counts and then the other things don't. Hmm. Uh, but again, that took almost 400 years to happen. And, um, and what I talk about in the book too is that I just find it fascinating. Most Christians have no idea the names of the people on that council that made that decision for the rest of us. Yeah, absolutely. What books were in and what yeah. books were not. We don't know their names, but we have absolute 100% faith that they were right. We don't right. even know the methods they used, but they must have been correct. And what, and whatever method they used must have been the correct method. And mm-hmm. then here's the other problem. Christians today will say, well, no, God preserved his witness and, um, and the scriptures, you know, from the beginning. And, uh, and he delivered the Bible to us today. Well, that's fine for you if, you if you're a Protestant and you're referring to the 66 books of the Protestant, you know, uh, canon. Hmm. But what about, what would you say about the Eastern Orthodox, but they have like 78 books. Right. Did God not preserve that? What about the Ethiopian Orthodox? They have 81 books. God didn't right. care about that. Or the Catholics, they have 73. Or the Syrian Orthodox, they have 68. Hmm. Like, how convenient that God cared about the particular canon that you use, but he didn't really seem to care at all about the, all these other Christians hmm. uh, groups that all have their own version, their own canon. Hmm. So again, it's sort of like, no, we have to back up and say, did God do this or did we do this? Hmm. And the truth is we did this, right? Yeah. We wrote them, we decided, uh, we picked it, we bound it up, we put Holy Bible on the cover, and you know, we, we put together this book. Hmm. I think if you if you really spend some time meditating on that idea and just really try to wrap your mind around the fact that it wasn't this book that fell from the sky, but it yeah. went through this very human process to be put together, I think that really can transform the way that you read it too. Because all of a sudden you're disconnecting yourself from that baggage that it literally came on stone tablets handed to <laughs> right, handed down from like the mountain. And I've, once you detach yourself from that, I think you can just look at it through such a different lens. Like that's, I feel like that's what's happening for me. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah and I kind of hope so. I, like you said at the, near the beginning, you know, this, we got to break this idea that it's a magic book and yeah. um, it's not a magic book. It's wonderful. Again, I love it. It's great. I'm so glad we have a Bible today, but um, it's not a magic book. It, it, the, the real problem is, you know, Christians have made, I, I use this phrase a lot, you know, they've made the menu, the meal, mm. and they've acted as if the map is the treasure. Yeah. And when you do that, you miss the point. Like the menu is trying to get you to have an experience. Mm. The map is trying to get you to, to have an experience. And if we only treat, if we only act as if um, what we need is information, we just need this information that's in this book. Hmm. We don't need a relationship. We don't need a connection with an actual God, an actual Holy Spirit, right? We don't actually need to hear the voice of Jesus ourselves directly. Yeah. Um, then we've missed it. I mean, we've missed the whole point of it. This, the, the, the book itself tells you, you know, that, that Christ is our authority. Christ is our foundation, not the Bible. Hmm. Um, and I, I play that game with people a lot on, on Facebook as well. I'll say, um, you know, hey, what's the, uh, what's the, what's the, the Christian's foundation? for truth. You know, what is, what is a Christian's final authority? And people will say the Bible, Hmm. you know what the Bible says? It's Christ. (laughs) (laughs) And then, but then we'll go around this merry-go-round. They'll say, yeah, but you wouldn't know that if it wasn't in the Bible. 
Okay, so I just told you that our final authority is not the Bible, but Christ. I've told you that our foundation is not the Bible, but Christ. And the Bible agrees with me, so I'm wrong? Right. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I, I'm really confused now. If hmm. the Bible agrees with what I'm saying, then believe it. You know, yeah. it really is Christ. It's not about the book. Hmm. Uh, talk to me. This will be the last question because uh, I know you got a flight to catch in a little bit. But talk to me a little bit about uh, heresy because that's a, that is a term that I see thrown around a lot mm-hmm. on Facebook these days, especially as people are becoming more vocal with their deconstruction, their reconstruction. I see it on your page a lot. Um, I get it thrown at me a lot. Um, a lot of people who I would say read the Bible as the, you know, as the literal book and it's inerrant and all these things. If you come up against that immediately heretic. Uh, so talk to me about heresy um, and exactly what is it? Where did that word come from? And mm-hmm. what are the, what are the proper ways to apply that word? And yeah, um, proper. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, this is, um, you know, I do this podcast called the heretic happy hour and we, we, we took that name for ourselves tongue in cheek because we, you know, the three, the three of us who are the hosts um, have been called heretics so often. It's a little <laughs> whatever. Right. So here's, but here's the, here's the reality. Like the people who are calling you a heretic and mm-hmm. people that call me a heretic, um, the way it's used today, it, it honestly just means you believe or teach something that happens to disagree with my theology. So therefore you're a heretic, but what people don't understand who are calling you a heretic mm. is that the things that they believe to another Christian, they're a heretic. So in other words, everyone is someone's heretic. Mm. Uh, it just simply, because again, how many different denominations are there? You know, like thousands of different Christian denominations around the world, all basing their beliefs on this Bible, which is so clear. Right. Uh, <laughs> so clear <laughs> so easy to understand Black and white yeah <laughs> so i don't know why you don't see it um, so so here's the thing right it, it becomes meaningless it becomes sort of like all you mean to say is that some of my views disagree with some of your views and then you've decided to call me a heretic because of that but but somebody else will call you a heretic too mm. um but but again if, if you want to get even more kind of like drill down a little bit what what i find fascinating is um, the way the scriptures use the word heretic, um, when it talks about a heretic, it actually get, it's actually more about the one it, it's, it, the meaning is one who divides one who causes division. And so here's the irony. When you say something and another Christian, even let's say they're right and you're wrong. Okay. I'm wrong and they're right. Mm-hmm. Um, but they say to me, you're a heretic and I want nothing to do with you. You're a heretic and I'm going to, I'm not, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to block you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to block you. Exactly. I'm going to block you. I'm going to warn other people not to welcome you. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to create a distance between you and me over this, uh, over this doctrine or over this disagreement. The person pushing you away is the heretic, according mm-hmm. to the meaning of that word, the mm-hmm. one who causes the division. In mm-hmm. other words, I'm not causing division. If I disagree with you, in other words, I'm not pushing you away. Right. I'll, I'll listen to your view. And Molly, I'll probably say, yeah, I used to believe that too, hmm. but I would still fellowship with you. I have no problem with you. You know, the, hmm. the, but the question is, do you have a problem with me? Can you still see me as a brother or a sister in Christ? Uh, you know, if just because we disagree on something, hmm. um, the one causing the division is really technically the heretic. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of, you know, unfortunately it's kind of gotten to this point of, of, to me, it's gotten to this place where it's just meaningless. Uh, and, and, and ultimately, I guess the way I, the way I respond to that 
sort of you're a heretic or you're a false teacher thing. Because usually what follows right after that is, um, you know, you're in danger of hellfire. God's going to, you know, attack. You better look out. God's going to get you. Right. Well, here's the thing. I don't, I don't see God that way anymore. I don't have any fear. Uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't relate to God through fear, right? Um, Jesus talks about how uh, obedience to him is based on love, right? If you love me, you'll obey me. So our obedience to Christ is based on love, not on fear, right? Mm-hmm. What does it say in First John, right? The one who, the, the one who fears um, is not been, because perfect love casts out all fear. And the one that fears has not known this love. So, I mean, that, that whole thing against me of like, well, you better be afraid. You better look out. No, sorry. It doesn't work because, you know, I I'm placing my, my whole life in the hands of God who is love. Hmm. So if love is my judge, I feel really okay. I'm, I'm safe. Uh, This is, this is my Abba who loves me. If I'm wrong about something, I've been wrong before. He loved me when I was wrong before. He loves me now. If I'm wrong now. Um, again, it's not about being right or wrong. It's not about having the right information hmm. about God. Um, the gospel is not about information. The gospel is about transformation. Hmm. And transformation is only something we experience in relationship with Jesus. That's so good. I love that. It's not about information. It's about transformation. That's good. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, hey, I'm going to let you go. Um, but before you go, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, if, you could, if you could leave our listeners with one thing like all of our, a lot of our people are in that process of deconstruction reconstruction you've got your back to square one uh, about to go up and running if you could leave everybody with one idea one thought for their journey one word of encouragement uh what would it be well i think um in all of my deconstruction um again like i've said i've tried not to be dogmatic i've tried not to say i know everything i'm yeah. sure of something but i want to say this is what i would say i am sure of that God is good hmm. and God loves me. Yeah. And I can question everything else, hmm. but the thing I can't question, I can't doubt is that God is good and God loves me. And so I would encourage anyone listening to hold on to that. God is good and God loves you. And, uh, and that is, I believe that is expressed most beautifully, most perfectly in Jesus. Hmm. And um, that's the one thing, again, in all my deconstructing, uh, I can never let go of those things. I can never doubt those things. Amen. Keith, my man, thank you so much for dropping by. And uh, I'm definitely going to have to have you stop back again. Oh, uh, I look forward I to it. I got a whole list of more questions for you. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's do a part two sometime. That'd be great. That'd be great. Thank you so much, Keith. Have a great day. All right. God bless, Glenn. You Bye-bye. too. Bye-bye. Come, I know your boy is almost grown. So I'm moving up and out this home. I said, Mama, my future's calling me. Looks like I'll finally get to manifest my kick ass dreams. I'll have a tattoo of gold and talk to ladies, and I want them more than a match. All I'll do for several days Sitting on my ass Count my cash with a mama Oh, oh, mama, yes Oh, oh Now I said, mama I ain't coming home
Never, never coming home to my mom. 